communicated with leaders. I'd sit sometimes with some and I would say, hey, what's feedback? Tell me what, what's going on. Just keep doing what you're doing. Doing what? Which? Which one? Be specific with especially the positive stuff. Be incredibly specific. So when people say, I always felt like people would say, just keep doing what you're doing. Great job. You're not really watching me. You're just kind of like, okay, good job. Next question. But when we, on the recognition side, are really specific on what we liked about them, people feel seen and they feel heard and that they know we're paying attention. everybody to a quality podcast we are happy this week to host tina provost tina is head of continuous improvement at covetris and founder of pep pep is a pretty cool service that lets you basically take action on your desire to express gratitude and positive reinforcement and actually that's what we're going to talk about today so tina welcome to the show why don't you introduce yourself to our two fans out there Hi, my name is Tina Provost. I, like John had mentioned, lead a continuous improvement team with Covetris, which is an animal health technology and distribution company, um, and also founded PEP. I live in Dublin, Ohio, and have been here since my days at Ohio State. Thank you both for having me. This has been, I've been excited to join because I've seen the other videos you've been posting over the past month or so, or so. And um, they look pretty fun, so I'm excited. Well, we're excited to have you on. Um, So you are very close to the Arnold Classic and Mm. the world's strongest powerlifting gym, aren't you? I guess so, yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. you can tell where my mind is. You guys both participate, you guys compete in that, the two of you? I don't even know what it is. What is it? (laughs) Well, Tina, welcome for uh, welcome to the show, and thank you for joining. Um, continuous improvement and positive reinforcement. Okay, so th- there's a lot we can get into there, but let's start with continuous improvement and the psychology and um, I guess ethos, like the work environment required to really do CI. Talk to us a little bit about that. So we kind of mentioned a little bit before we started the call that that the traditional engineer Lean Six Sigma, that still is good, but to make change in corporate settings, I think it needs to be a little bit different of an experience. Um, A lot of folks that are in the core, even in distribution and manufacturing, don't grow up with a lean background and care or do statistical analysis. So when that type of conversation comes up, it's kind of like, what does that mean to me? I don't really sounds like I can't do it or it's not, that's not for me. And frankly, I felt like that in the beginning of my lean career. I grew up in HR and sales and not not very analytical as a person at all for a long time. Um, I was fortunate enough to have exposure at Cardinal Health to lean and Six Sigma. But before all I knew was that it was engineers and really smart people. And I just didn't think that I could do something like that. Um, Come to find out through training, I, I mean, I had to learn the stats and the math around it all. But come to find out what the most important thing I feel and experienced was, is that what we're asking people to do is make a change, continuous improvement, do something different. And unless they have any motivation to do that, 
And if you don't have that skill to work with people and translate, you know, FMEA or Gemba, people are like, what, who's Gumby? I mean, and then it doesn't mean anything to them and it's hard for them to latch onto it. And I felt, I felt that way too, before I got into it myself, it just kind of felt like, oh, you know, that might not be for me. And that's for those really smart people somewhere else. So I feel like using positive reinforcement when we do make those incremental changes is pretty critical. If you want to transform and build a CI culture at a company or organization. Well, if you didn't know, I have a warm spot in my heart for that. The sole purpose of the brand is I was always really, really good at engineering the most pragmatic, most innovative solution to save them the most amount of time and dollars and cents. And I found out pretty early on that people don't give a damn about they that. Like they just they don't. don't. <laughs> yeah, it's a great call out. Um, you know, the um, experience of a lot of people who uh, are in maybe like the engineering side, right? So mm -hmm. they're a continuous improvement manager or something like that. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't take very long to figure out. You think you have the best ideas. Now you have good ideas because you went to school, you have an education, you know what you're talking about. Maybe not the best, but better than where we're at now. Mm -hmm. And nobody does it because there's a gap between here's what's going on in my brain, here's what's going on in the real world, and I expect everyone over here to just jump on board and say, oh my goodness, you're such an awesome expert. I can't believe you came up with this. We're going to do it right now. Mm -hmm. Would you please teach us? You know, like that's not how people work, right? Yeah. Oh, by the way, it shouldn't be your idea. As a good lean practitioner, yeah, you can coach people and, and direct them into the way you kind of want them to live. But if it's not their idea, then, uh, you know, say just what you're saying. It's hard to latch onto that. Yeah, it's a great call out because it exposes the lack of emotional intelligence that most mm -hmm. humans have, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's through experience that most of us, you know, kind of develop that. And we forget to check our own presuppositions, you know, like, yeah, I'm assuming that I'm smarter than everybody else. <laughs> no, I can confirm he does presume that. Can okay, come up with better ideas. Yeah, you know, and you're it, you're exactly right when when somebody takes the position of I just solved the world's problems. That's what's going on in the background, and you know, it's I, I think it's a normal thing for people to go to, mm -hmm. um, but you you know you definitely have to grow past that point if you're gonna. Have any impact in your career right yeah yeah i agree so then meanwhile over here you have like all the people doing the work and you know you're fresh on this uh, continuous improvement journey and people have motivations right so we do stuff um you know based on our individual motivators so on and so forth so why is can why is positive reinforcement uh, such a critical lever in the continuous improvement journey? I'm not a, a research psychologist. My, my degree is in psychology, so I just naturally enjoy reading about it and learning about how people operate and what gets them to take action. Um, and when people get recognized or thanked for something that they did that was good, that releases dopamine and serotonin. I'm not going to do the legally blonde feel about it, but we all know that that makes people feel really good. And those are the same 
chemicals that are stimulated some or same parts of your brain that are stimulated when people take addictive drugs. I'm not suggesting any drug use on this. I just need to make that clear. But that type of positive reinforcement stimulates similar areas of the brain. And when people are addicted to a feeling like that, they keep doing it and they want to keep chasing that feeling because it's, it's good. So when we reinforce positively, when we see people doing things that we want them to continue to do, they're going to keep doing it because of the way it made them feel. Um, and I think that is exactly what we all need to do as lean, good lean leaders is not everyone's going to get your stats. They don't care. You're the one that's supposed to know the stats. But when you see people make small changes or even just come up with an idea or even just say, I, I have a, there's a problem, a problem identification. Yes, that's what we want. I don't care if it ever gets solved or if, you know, if they don't know how to solve it themselves, but the fact that they can identify waste and a problem, that's good. Keep those coming. I mean, we, as lean, I think you both would agree. You want to see, we want to know the defects because they're there. So either we're going to find them or they just fester and get worse. So using positive reinforcement around that behavior that we want to see for change um, is pretty critical and it's addicting. So I hear you saying that lean is a drug. That's what I got out of that. Mm -hmm. The right improvement effort is a lot like heroin. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's a terrible I analogy, it, but I totally but get it. I totally get it. That, you know. It's... Yeah, well, so, okay. So we can contrast that then, right? Um, I've worked in environments where, uh, you know, here's what we want you to do. And if you step out of bounds, we're going to whack you with the hammer, right? Mm -hmm. And so the experience of the individual in that environment is one of avoiding pain. Mm -hmm. Whereas with positive reinforcement, what you're doing is outside of the lines, there is no positive reinforcement. Inside the lines, there's positive reinforcement. And so the individual is sort of self-correcting because they desire that positive reinforcement. Is that an mm -hmm. accurate contrast? I think so, but I think that, yes, I think that happens. I don't believe in it, um, the lines, because half the time the people don't even know what the lines are, and then they find out after the fact, so then that kind of mm -hmm. sucks. And then they're, you know, it's a negative experience because they didn't realize that's not the right thing to do, or, you know, we don't do it this way here. Well, okay, where's the standard work? I didn't know that. So now they're just having negative experiences. Um, but I would say that's a fair contrast. Um, they can, we can self-correct or we could just keep choosing behavior that we know gets us the positive reward. And then we don't have to worry about negative reinforcement because we don't venture there because we're not, we don't get right. stimulated by that. Right. John, it's a, it's a, it's a lot less whack-a-mole and a lot more snake charming. Yeah. 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 Whack-a-mole logistics. We need to have. Oh my gosh! I love that. that. I might start a company that for, with that. Whack-a-mole mm -hmm. logistics. You, you got away from the standard. Bow. We'll make sure it's oh. under a hundred employees, so we don't have to require the vaccine, and we don't have to yeah. worry about turnover. There you go. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's actually a business operating system for a couple of companies I've worked for. Right, the whack-a-mole operating system. Oh really? Um, like, truly, that's what it's called. No, patent pending, right? Oh, okay. No, it should be. <laughs> should but, be that's how, but that's how people are feeling. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, how, I've uh... been places like that where it felt like 
just as long as I don't get in trouble, I'm all good. And that right. sucks. I don't work there anymore, obviously. Yeah. Yep. Well, that's uh, part of the consequences, right, mm -hmm. of ineffective leadership. So, okay, good. So talking about positive reinforcement, um, why don't you give us some examples from uh, your career? Positive reinforcement? I'll, I'll give some examples first from leaders that I felt the most successful under. Um, and I think maybe that's where I started to really latch onto it myself. I had a, two leaders when I was at Cardinal Health. Um, and what we loved about them was, and I say we, because our team, we all thought the same thing. We, if we needed help, they were always there to support us. Um, but what I liked the most about them is although some of us were still in development early in our lean career, we're still going through running black belt projects and executing that to earn our certification. They trusted us to make the right decisions and they kind of empowered us to just go for it. And that made us feel like, okay, you believe in me and you trust us, even though we might make mistakes, um, that support felt really, really good. And I think they did a great job in all of our huddles to make sure that recognition was a, a topic of the huddle before we even got into, you know, what phase are we in and what kind of hurdles do we have? They always made it a point to say, here's what we saw good this week from everybody. Who else has something to share about each other? And that just made us, I think, made our team so close and so productive because we kept encouraging each other and we kept the positivity within it. We're all going to make mistakes. We kind of failures happen. Okay, whatever, move on. But um, I, I felt that experience with those two there. And I started to take that even more so anywhere I went after that. I have a question because it's very, very near and dear to me. How do you juggle both making a place incredibly focused around positive enforcement, but also have a high accountability framework where you know, people who underperform, people who aren't within those lines, people who aren't committed to the plan are held accountable for those outcomes. How do you juggle both in a culture? I feel that while making the goals clear is the first step. And I and this is gonna sound kind of cheesy, but half the time that doesn't even exist. So start with being clear on what the expectations are. I made a mistake with um, someone on my team. Thankfully, we have a good relationship, but a, a, the group that I work with now at Pavetris, we all had worked together in a different place. So, and then when we hired our other guy, um, our newest person, he came from a different company. And I made the mistake of assuming, well, we all trained up together, you know, I'm just going to let him loose and I trust him, he's smart. But that was a mistake because I didn't set expectations. I didn't onboard him appropriately. He's doing great, but I think and sometimes we felt a little bit lost. So I, I made that mistake myself, set clear expectations. What do we expect of each other? And then in every one-on-one, -on -one, we just kind of talk about where do we fall against them and how do we get back on track? I mean, I think a lot of us are really fortunate when we lead PI teams that they're pretty smart people. So it's not um, a situation where there's really bad behavior or you're falling way off track. But as long as the as long as you have open communication and you trust each other, um, I think that helps with the accountability. If it's clear in the beginning and then you just talk about it regularly so it's not a taboo topic to bring up. Yeah, it's a great call out. And then call on the reinforcement side, start with, this is 
this is what you should keep doing. I, I always hated when leaders, I'd sit sometimes with some and I would say, hey, what's feedback? Tell me what, what's going on. Just keep doing what you're doing. Doing what, which, which one? Be specific with, especially the positive stuff, be incredibly specific. So when people say, I always felt like when people would say, just keep doing what you're doing, great job. You're not really watching me. You're just kind of like, okay, good job, next question. But when we on the recognition side are really specific on what we liked about them, people feel seen and they feel heard and that they know we're paying attention as leaders because we're specific in what we liked and they'll keep doing that. Yeah, it's a great call out because they all go together, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes leadership doesn't know why we're winning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that prevents them from setting expectations and it also prevents them from um you know recognizing your performance Mm -hmm. you know most of the leaders that i've experienced say just keep doing what you're doing i knew for a fact they didn't have a clue what our value creation processes were Mm -hmm. what what they were really saying was we're getting good business outcomes and i want more of that yeah right but they didn't know the got there we don't we can't do more of it because we don't know we just yeah yeah. Can't, can't articulate that. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So I, I think it's, uh, you know, maybe fair to say that positive reinforcement, um, I think we'll, I think we'll get into some specifics, right. Of what that looks like, but, uh, positive reinforcement requires a knowledge of the value creation process and what mm-hmm. individuals roles are in that yeah. process. Otherwise you don't know what to positively reinforce. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then, then you fall into that and just keep doing what you're doing. It seems like you're producing. And then that kind of sucks because you feel like they're not really paying attention to you and they're not invested in your development or career. And and that, you know, you don't like, that's not a good feeling. Right. Yeah. The um, very uncomfortable ambiguity that, Mm -hmm. you know, I've experienced, most people have experienced where you're in an organization and you just don't know the score. Yeah. You just don't know. You're trying your hardest. Mm-hmm. But over here, see, we always have this efficiency equation going on in the back of our heads, right? Every human has this, which is how much effort do I have to put into this role? <laughs> yeah. Right? Because you can always do more, right? Until we're Elon Musk, like sleeping in our office, you know, there's always like more time we can dedicate to our job, more effort, more energy, more we can do, right? And so we're always calculating that, whether it's consciously or subconsciously, we need to know, you know, at what point can I say that's enough effort mm-hmm. and still be creating the value I'm expected to create, right? And then there's the whole aspect of basically pleasing leadership within the organization, mm-hmm. right? Uh, am I meeting expectations? Um, because sometimes you're part of a team that is just winning tremendously. You know, a company that is just a great, like Apple's going to keep winning. It doesn't, you're one engineer. You're not going to change the game, right? But are you meeting the expectations mm-hmm. for your role, you know, to create value? Yeah. And you have vice versa. You have companies that are failing like Sears and they're like, hey, we need you to come help us, you know, not go bankrupt or whatever. It will, okay, but what are the expectations? Like, am I going to turn the whole ship around? You know, what exactly are the boundaries? What mm-hmm. are you paying me to do? Yeah, like, yeah. 
and when you lack clarity there for mm. any individual, mm-hmm. right? It's extremely uncomfortable because the difference between personal success, right? Personal winning and company winning, they're not congruent, right? They can be, mm-hmm. but they're often not, right? Yeah. yeah. So we have to be able to define that, you know, for our employees, right? yeah. our, our team members and show them like, here's what winning looks like, right? So I try to keep everything really simple. I understand that, you know, a binary appropriation like winning and losing is unrealistic, you know, in the real world, but all models are false. Some are useful, right? So I just keep it that simple. How, how do you know that you're winning? Mm-hmm. You know, at your yeah. role? If I can clearly articulate that, then when I talk to this person about, hey, we're not winning, they're not surprised. Yeah. But I don't think it can stop there, right? Because it has to be an ongoing conversation. Yeah, last month that was winning. Things have changed. Yeah, yeah. Now we're adding this in or that Mm -hmm. in, right? And so not only do you have to have a clear definition of the value creation process, right? And how people fit into it, but you also have to have a process or a mechanism for ongoing communication, right? Yeah, yeah. And you're talking about keeping score and winning and sometimes people confuse that or or only segment that segment that into a competitive person and not everybody feels competitive um, but that's not the case you don't have to be competitive to just understand the boundaries of what winning looks like for executing a process a job whatever a relationship um, it's not about being competitive it's just about understanding where the thresholds are and I, I mean just since we're in college football season and I'm in Columbus and everybody's obsessed with Ohio State, I mean, and you're talking about your role. I knew it was coming. I mean, you know, I had to do it. I cheered there. I had to plug it. But to your point about keeping score, we don't play a whole football game, four quarters, and then look up and say, how do we do? No, every minute is analyzed every step of the way we know the we know the score but not only just the score but statistics of each of the players they each have a job or a role to execute the win of the game and you know our quarterback shouldn't also be you know a running back that doesn't make any sense we're not leveraging his role appropriately and using his strengths and it's the same thing in our careers we find what our strengths are in each person place them in places where they're going to be successful. Yeah, we're going to develop and we want to enhance. But again, you're not going to move the quarterback to a defensive lineman. That doesn't make any sense. Just because it sounds like cross training is cool. No, that's not going to make the team win. Find out where we're good at, set the expectations for that role, and then let them execute it and keep score often, not just at the end. You know, what sucks sometimes is you get those year end reviews and they're like, well, and you're like, I mean, how did that was six months ago? I don't know. What, I don't remember what happened yesterday, frankly. Yeah. So you think I know what happened six months ago? I don't. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you get that year end review and you're like, how come this is the first time I'm hearing about it? And then yeah. you realize, because this is the first time my yeah, boss has yeah. thought about it. You mm-hmm. know? And <laughs> oh, you're, maybe you're thinking something. like, I'm killing it. You know, I'm, I'm going to nail this year end review and you go in and you're, maybe you're just a meets expectations and you're like, well, what, why didn't you tell me before that, you know, I, I, yeah, I totally agree with that. 
Yeah, the, the year-end evaluation is something that just needs to disappear into the mm-hmm. days of the, the 1980s, just die there where John comes yeah. from. And <laughs> we can take a much smarter approach somewhere. I just remember, you know, I walk in thinking it's going to be as good as it could possibly be. Yeah. And then I get a, you coughed in a meeting nine months ago. What? <laughs> and that wasn't even COVID era. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, I remember uh, one of my bosses telling me, well, you know, you're, you know, you're not going to qualify for the full bonus this time. So I'm like, okay, why not? Well, part of the uh, way that they calculate it is this year-over-year improvement in safety from corporate. And okay. we all had zero incidents the year before, so you can't get better than that. <laughs> and since you're not showing a year-over-year improvement, even though you had zero again, uh, 10% of your bonus down the toilet. Right. Isn't that like, and and then what do you, what do you think you're going to do? What's your behavior going to be? Well, then I'm not going to, well, I'm going to hurt, hurt that guy just so our safety incident rate goes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just stick your leg out, maybe trip somebody. Yeah. But like, yeah. then that, then the behavior that comes out of that is, well, if I can't get any better, then why should I try more? And, and yeah. I've sometimes we've talked about that. My team has talked about that sometimes. And we have in other, other places and, it's like, I know, and I'll probably never actually do it because that's not the type of person I am. But sometimes you're like, well, why should I put extra effort if I don't get extra recognition? And it's not, it doesn't always have to be about money or whatever. Maybe it's opportunity or whatever that looks like for somebody, but that could drive behavior in the wrong way. And that is so weird. Like can't get better than zero. So yeah. Okay. Well, so now we're getting into the difference between intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but where, you know, it kind of falls apart a little bit is despite all of the propaganda thrown at us by corporate America, you are in a transactional relationship. Mm-hmm. I don't care how much you say you love the job or you say you love the team or what have you, you are in a transactional economic relationship where you're trading your life for monetary mm-hmm. compensation. That Tell is, my wife that, John. That is objectively <laughs> what it is, right? Uh, so, and you're expendable. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we've probably all experienced it, but, you know, mm-hmm. I remember working with a large manufacturer internationally renowned and the the numbers weren't there right through no fault of lower level management this is the fault of the board of directors and senior mm-hmm. management well you know we we've got to fire 20 percent of the workforce so here's somebody six months away from retirement and been with the company for 40 years you're fired right Okay, so it's transactional, you know? Okay. Yeah. Um, so the, I'm almost entirely intrinsically motivated naturally. I do things because I find pleasure in them. And mm-hmm. I love lean, I love engineering, I love continuous improvement, and I really love people. Mm-hmm. I like helping people win. That being said, when it comes to the company that I'm working for, you better extrinsically reward me, even if that's not my motivation. Yeah. And when we talk about uh, positive reinforcement, 
we have to keep in mind, some people are intrinsically motivated and some are extrinsically, right? Mm -hmm. And most of us are a combination of both. Mm -hmm. So an example of intrinsic motivation in positive reinforcement is, hey, I know what you did. You know, this person might not like to be recognized publicly or in front of a team, right? But you can always say, hey, I know what you did. I appreciate that. You know, yeah. thank you. Right. And that gets their engine going. Mm -hmm. For other folks, it's, hey, come up and spin the wheel. You might win a half day off with pay or whatever, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Crazy yeah. Uh, Glenn Glary, Glenn Ross uh, games you got going yeah, on in, yeah. your, uh, <laughs> in your office. The wheel was always a favorite of mine. The, the wheel is a favorite. Did yeah. you guys ever see that episode of The Office where they were spinning wheels to do chores and then they had the baby wheel? <laughs> if there is an episode of The Office, yes, I have seen it. Okay, I just finished about a week ago. Gosh, was it my sixth time watching the whole series through? While he, was while he was talking about a boss that didn't know how to do enforcement because they don't know the job, I was, I was thinking of saying the Michael Scott approach. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the Michael Scott approach. Yeah, well, I, that's why these characters resonate so well with us, right? Mm -hmm. Is it's a caricature or a cartoon of somebody we know. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I have my own names for every character in the office, right? Yeah. And John's definitely Dwight, if you didn't know. Are you He's Dwight? He's definitely Drew? Dwight. He's Dwight True. Do you have a beat yeah. farm? No. Look at the hat. Yes, he has a beat farm. Look at the hat on That's his That's actually desk. very Dwight of you. Or maybe Moe's. Maybe. Good oh, deal. you Let's... too? Gosh, you guys have cigars. You have cool news, 1600s newsboys hats. Like, you didn't tell me any of this to prepare my outfit. I just have a. Do you have a newsboy, newsboy cap? You have but, one somewhere? I don't. You guys have cigars <laughs> and newsboy caps, and I, I don't. Like... You didn't prepare me. I love I like you this. Super cool in a newsboy cap. Do you actually. I... You just. Is it just for the look? You don't bite it? Uh, well, the whole thing was my Halloween costume was John. So oh I got yeah. some suspenders and a cigar and it's all over my last handful of posts if you want to dig through them around Halloween. But this was this my job. literally backpack. what's in my backpack right now. Okay. My messenger bag, sorry. My Your man, man purse. purse. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Indiana Jones hat on. I love that she calls it a newsboy hat. That's the same thing my wife referred to it as. I'm like, that, does she that encapsulates it so well. It's a little newsboy hat. Yeah, it really does. That's what it is, Jake. That's what it's called. Is it? I can't believe my wife called my t-shirt a t-shirt. You guys remember the legend of Zelda? When Zelda walked in and bought that silver sword, I'm like, that wasn't Zelda. The sword wasn't silver and he didn't buy it. I'm like, ah! <laughs> Link bought it, and he didn't buy it either. He walked in, and an old man gave it to him and said, "It's dangerous to go alone. Take this." It's an iconic beginning of the game. So, isn't that the Mandela effect right there, Jake? It would be if I wasn't right. <laughs> That's how I feel about all of my Mandela. All of the Mandela effects, right? <laughs> well, if you just weren't stupid, you wouldn't be in there. <laughs> Okay, so we're talking about continuous improvement and positive reinforcement. And of course, mm -hmm. Tina, you have an education in psychology, which is helpful. So we're going to branch off a little bit. Um, okay. By the time this airs, our listeners will have got to listen to a couple of other conversations that this is going to kind of mesh with, but it has to do with lean 
for continuous improvement or operational excellence mm-hmm. and the future, right? So I say lean continuous improvement or operational excellence because not every company is lean. That's okay. There's other mm-hmm. ways to be awesome at what you do, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but you probably still need like a continuous improvement philosophy and probably like a couple of people you hire, you know, to spearhead that, right? Um, So you have that. And in the past, the largest segment, particularly in lean, was around people who had been trained in uh, somewhat uh, esoteric methods as in non-traditional approaches to manufacturing. This was before the internet. This was before cell phones. This was before Tony Soprano was calling people on the payphone. You know, this was like wrap a letter around the leg of a pigeon and send it to people days. Um, and so you really had to like have a person come in and show you, right? And then there were some books and some articles, but you know, we all know when it comes to learning, like you can read a book, a YouTube video is better. Doing it with someone is best, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so those days are behind us. Like we have this internet, the technical mm-hmm. side of things is available. You might need some skill in knowing where to look. Mm-hmm. Definitely need some skill in knowing when and where to apply. But the basic knowledge is out there, right? So the real horizon for most companies is in the people side. Yes. It is the psychology side. It is the teamwork side, right? Mm-hmm. We can hire a company right now to tell us how to be lean, right? But does that mean we can be lean? Uh, I don't know about that. Yeah, right? we don't know. Right? There's a gap, right? Yep. Between mm-hmm. this knowledge base and the people. Um, so let's talk about that for a little bit. Uh, you're a CI leader, right? Head of Continuous Improvement at Covetras. Um, tell us about the culture and things that you've done to affect it and you know how you feel about that. Okay. One thing, just as you're talking about culture and companies wanting to be lean or have continuous improvement, um, I, I think any lean leader would agree that, yes, there's always going to be output is going to be dollar savings, whether that's type one or type two, but you can only go so far if that's all you're focusing on. And if people aren't bought in, let's say you've got a team of five and we don't have the culture set, you're only as good as those five people. Whereas if you're, if we're embedding in the culture and we're continuously talking about it, making it a part of our life, Well, now it went from five people doing lean activity at any given level or experience to maybe now 3,000 people have some sort of tool to whatever level of experience to continue that in their their day-to-day. And I think what companies forget sometimes is all they want to see is, well, how much type one dollars are you saving us? And it's like, well, X amount. But if you give us a little bit of space, to go and teach other people on how to, even if it's at a smaller level, you know, we'll take the high levels, you know, the strategic projects, but what if we were able to empower and give people the capability to do smaller wins? Um, And that starts to compound on them. And leaders generally in companies are pretty smart and usually um, are successful financially 
So guarantee they have a really great financial advisor that talks about compound interest and investing money and it'll grow over time. It's the same thing. You might not see the return tomorrow for millions of dollars, but if we keep giving little nuggets and information and empowering people to, to have a continuous improvement mindset, that is going to compound in the company over time. Yes, we're going to deliver the dollar savings. We always, that's, you know, you're always going to have to do that. But I feel like we've got a leader that um, my group reports to right now who truly gets that. And she is awesome. Um, we're, we're piloting um, an initiative where we're going throughout the entire company. Um, I've got a partner in Europe that's doing it for his side and I'm doing it in North America, but we're infiltrating at least 80% white belt and then 10 to 20% as yellow belts. And we want to have them have that capability and train them up so they feel like, A, I, I can do this, make it achievable for them and I'm contributing too. So now a 5S initiative, you know, my master black belt doesn't need to go I don't need to pay somebody a lot of money to help with 5S. He can now do a really hairy strategic project. And we've built capability at each of those sites to do 5S themselves. Um, and again, like I said, I think we're really fortunate at Covetris to have our head of global operations really believe in that. Um, so that's what we're starting to do at Covetris. I mean, lean to this company is, is pretty new with, a, with an official group. Um, so there's, we're going to, it's going to take some time, but I think we have the right people and the right leader. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I like the, I guess, recognition that it's, uh, it's like, it's like animal husbandry. You have to. <laughs> Tell me more about what? that. What? Explain, explain, John. Uh, inside joke for Jake. Um, you know, like when you have a farm, right, you have to prepare the soil and then you have to plant and then you have to water and then you have to weed and then you get the harvest, right? There's a, there's a whole lot of work that goes into farming before you uh, get your get your harvest. And, and it's yeah. the same way. And so kind of what I hear you saying is that um, that patient planting, watering, weeding approach is part of creating the culture. Is that yes. fair? Mm -hmm. I think that's right on. And then after you set the soil and the baseline of the farm, well, then those crops are going to come back every year with some maintenance, but a lot less maintenance than when you, when you were starting it up. I think that's the same idea that companies, places can take with continuous improvement is let's get a good solid baseline, get good soil, get good seeds, water them appropriately. I think I have a mentor who I've been fortunate to stay in touch with and he said one of the mistakes they made at a company was just mass training a bunch of sponsor and leadership. And then they didn't really water it because they just kind of, here's some education and then never showed up again. And so the plant died because there wasn't a lot of water. People didn't die, just people, no humans were harmed in the sponsor training. But I, I was happy that he shared that experience because I almost thought maybe we should do that. Let's just blast it all out there and get people so excited about lean. But that's just not the right thing to do. Take it in yeah. small chunks, invest in them, listen, coach them and continue to water them. And then as they build that capability to a certain level, you know, you don't have to water as often now because they can self-sustain a little bit and or they can water each other now, which is even better. 
Yeah, let's take this metaphor even further, you know, to the point where even Jennifer Lacey can't rescue it. Um, so, you know, talking about planting and, and farming and everything, if you're growing corn and they're not producing the yield you're looking for, do you take a stick and beat the, uh, beat beat the corn the with corn. it? Right? <laughs> I can't believe you. This is unacceptable. That's it. <laughs> One more time and you're out of this garden forever. Let me tell right. you. <laughs> and the oh. corn is just like. Yeah. I'm just okay. I, feel like, I feel like I got to say the story. So John's muted me twice now. So I'm just dying off camera. <laughs> I, I have to share the story. So I did a LinkedIn live on Halloween and I dressed up as John. And one of the things I love about the John, why he's my favorite guy on this planet outside of myself, is that uh, <laughs> he's very cerebral, right? So he makes a lot of intellectual connotations that everybody else can sometimes go. Boop, 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 boop. Yeah. And I was just rattling off what I thought was a really good intellectual commentary during this LinkedIn Live. And I mentioned animal husbandry in a comment. And it was it was taken really well, given the context of exactly what it was. And then without John seeing my live, without us talking about it, it came up on our next episode of Equality Podcast with Jennifer Lacey. We were talking about something similar and he went straight there. And it just just warmed my heart inside that I was like great minds think alike, you know? Yeah. I don't know about the great part, but minds think alike for sure. Minds think alike. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mediocre minds think alike. Mm -hmm. Yes. Great minds think alike, but so do mediocre and, and crummy minds too, right? So, um, yeah, so I like the um, recognition, like how we interface with the team and the way that we roll out continuous improvement or lean. Like we are creating the culture as we go, right? Mm -hmm. And then positive mm -hmm. reinforcement. Okay, we're, we're educating you. We're expecting some change. And when you do, you get recognized for it, mm -hmm. right? So- in that vein, I guess, what are the current limits for you? When you talk about positive reinforcement, are you at this point limited to attaboys or do you have like a budget that you can mm. spend on whatever pizza parties or, you know, strippers and cocaine, whatever, however you can reinforce And it? we did talk about dopamine and serotonin and addictive drugs. So that's right yeah. on. Yeah. Um, so tell me about like real real world right now. Okay, um, I'm, I'm really glad you're bringing this up because I've presented a couple of times in other capacities around recognition systems and incentive programs in companies and, and some of the stuff I found online and some research. $100 billion is spent every year annually by companies on recognition and incentive programs. Okay, that's great. That was, I loved seeing that. Okay, so, and I've been in companies where there's, systems where you could thank somebody and they earn points and they can cash them in for like a newspaper boy hat or whatever. Um, but what I, as I dug further on what that meant, 87 billion or 87% of those dollars in those buckets of budget is spent on tenure um, and rewarding people for that. And so I, as I was thinking about that, that to me translates to, well, we're 87% of the dollars are spending, we're rewarding for that's the way we've always done it. Because I'm just rewarding you for sticking around for 15 years. And I think that's commendable and that's awesome, but we're rewarding people to stay the same and we're not reward spending money on people that are making change and being disruptive. And I thought that was interesting because I, that needs to change. 
And I know that companies have good intentions. I mean, as lean folks, I think we all believe that it's the process, not the people. I think we're just set up to spend the money that way because it's easier and we know it and it's easier to track because it's just a little, little ticker in your HR systems. But it is harder to go the, to change the way that we recognize. Um, and I think we should, and we need to explore that a little deeper, but you've got to have some top down buy-in, you know, that's a lot of money to be spent. So to answer your first question or your, your question around, do we have that? We do have a system that we use, um, but in both companies that I've worked for that have them, it's not utilized that well. I mean, utilization is a low percentage and I, I'm not sure that it's what people want. You know, I mean, personally, I think I got these points and then I can cash it in for a $5 gift card. I'm like, the time it takes me to log in, I can't even remember my password to this account thing or whatever it is. And then I get a five, but like, no, keep it. Just, I don't want to do that. And, yeah. and the same goes for folks in our distribution centers. They don't even have email addresses. So now like, a company email address. So now they're like, well, how do I even log into this? It's like, what a weird, you know, just, and then the system is failing and we're paying a company money for this reward and recognition system and nobody's using it. So attaboys are good. I think my leader does a really good job. We'll take to her weekly huddles. If we've got something we hear in the business, that's really good. She'll write them a note and send it to them. And people love that. They know that they got heard and seen by the top, you know, the top leader of operations. That just feels awesome that somebody else is talking good about you. Um, right. And I think that's better than, the, you know, 10 points on your whatever. John, isn't John isn't a, a tenure gift, just a participation trophy? Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> at, at its core. Don't even well, give me that. I don't want that. We had well, a um, fundraiser at my house on Friday. There's about 200 people here. It was a kid's fundraiser. Um, and we called it Football Friday Family Night. And we had a former football player come and do a little scrimmage with the kids. I mean, just messing around in the backyard. And I think we had Team Brutus and Team Buckeye. One of them won. And they're like, do we get a medal? I'm like, no, you don't all get a medal. Get out of here. <laughs> Teach them while they're young. Yeah, mm -hmm. so uh, I think there's some really interesting points there. You know, when we talk about positive reinforcement. One obviously would be, what are you rewarding? If I'm rewarding you for you know, just being here, well, just mm -hmm. raise my damn salary, you know, so be, be careful, pay attention to what we're rewarding, right, mm -hmm. um, the other would be, you know, kind of be careful how we're uh, rewarding folks, mm -hmm. right, so um, the uh, methodology, right, the access is really important, and I'm, I'm reminded of like a current state of affairs issue. I'm over here in the state of Maryland and uh, there's a very good chance we're gonna lose some of the federal funds that were earmarked uh, for folks that lost their job during the pandemic mm -hmm. because okay. we haven't used enough of it up. So the way that the government went about this was you're allocated this much money and by this date, you have to have distributed a certain amount or you lose okay. the money. Right. And so there's a really good chance we're going to lose some or all of this federal funding because that didn't happen. But hmm. the main reason it didn't happen is the infrastructure that's in place to funnel money from the federal government to Joe unemployment over here 
-hmm. is ridiculous. Yes. It's complicated. The state doesn't even know, like they're making it up as they go along. They're making phone calls. Like, how do I even access this money? Well, you have to fill out form (laughs) DD104-C and don't forget, you know, addendum A in the event that, you know, and and Mm -hmm. all of that, right? In the same way, like how we positively reinforce, like whatever the program is, like the methodology, like it has to be useful. It has to be usable, has to be accessible. Mm -hmm. If you're creating extra work, it's hogwash. I worked for a company that had a employee of the month program. Okay. And it was up to general managers to nominate somebody from their site. We went three months in a row with no employee of the month and corporate was like choosing somebody because they didn't want it to seem like nobody cared. Mm -hmm. But the real issue was the, the program was obnoxious. Like if you wanted to nominate somebody, you had to write a damn essay mm-hmm. and turn it in and then expect a phone call. tie it to a pigeon yeah, yeah. Expect, a, expect a phone call from like somebody in hr to review it with you mm-hmm. and you know and all of this stuff it's like i'm not doing that i'm a gm right yeah yeah like, i actually have stuff to do like i have to do mm-hmm. you know i pretty sure you guys want me to run the business and make money before i fill out the you know, 17 yeah. page form for employee of the month, right? You're right. Yeah. I, I agree. The systems sometimes aren't as so not only is the reward on the on the output that rewarding and exciting and, and accessible to the recipient, but then the giver putting through a bunch of hoops and you're like, maybe maybe I don't even want to do this anymore. I'm kind of lost, I kind of lost my excitement to give somebody recognition because you're just making it too hard. I don't want to do this yeah. anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And I really like the last point that you made, which was, you know, how valuable like a handwritten note from a VP or somebody is. Insanely valuable. So the relational aspect. Now, Mm -hmm. this is something that um, I appreciate because I've seen some of these things in practice. Uh, Walmart Logistics, far and away, had the best employee recognition um, Mm. methodologies, practices, structures in place right? The problem was they were all transactional, right? When I worked with them, it was all like, here's your company bucks type of thing. Here's your spin the wheel chance. Here's your whatever, right? So those are good. You know, I'm going to spin the wheel, believe me, right? Yeah, yeah. But having a relationship with another human, especially someone that is important in the decision-making process. Yeah, uh, to say thank you is more valuable. And it's more yeah. valuable to most people. Now, I already exposed that I was intrinsically motivated. So, you know, there you go. Um, well, you're going to be motivated anywhere you go, but getting ex- externally recognized is going to keep you there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you're going to do great wherever. It's just and, a matter of where that wherever is for you. And so if a company sees value in you, they'll, they'll realize that and spend the time we, um, our CEO, Ben Wollen, he has started these coffee chats, um, eight to 10 people random from the business and he just no agenda and just sat and talked to us and we asked questions and it was not a town hall, you know, not anything formal. And truly, I mean, I just got so much value out of that myself by just the fact that, you know, how busy 
folks at that level are. The fact that he sat down and talked to us and listened to our feedback, we just chit-chatted and he had no, he didn't have a computer in front of, obviously he did because it was Zoom, but no technology other than the camera, no, just chit-chatted. I think that meant more to us than, you know, if we all got sent some random email or like a little high five pizza party or something like that. To me, I'd rather have that time than a little Caesar's hot and ready. Yeah. And it's real sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Like, right. The pizza's mm-hmm. really not. I mean, give me a break, you know, like we can afford some pizza. Yeah. Um, yeah. Time, yeah. That's a sure, real sacrifice. But, you know? Yeah. Um, no. Yeah. And I think just when you're talking about how leaders can be better at that, one of the other things I found in doing some of that research was that only 14% of leaders and managers have the tools that they need to do it appropriately. So all around we're lacking. That's okay. That just means we have more opportunity to build on it. But um, yeah, and it, it's just, how do we get that to people effectively and make it easy for us to use? And I don't have all those answers, but I'm working on it. <laughs> yeah, no, appreciate that. So we're, uh getting close to the end of the podcast. Do you want to spend a few minutes talking to our audience about PEP? Oh, sure. Thanks for giving me space for that. Um, well, as we've been talking over the past hour, you could probably see where my passion lies. Um, I started PEP a little over a year ago, and I'd been thinking about it for a long time. The name came from, and you know, we talked about a little a little while ago, just, you know, how we're now intrinsically motivated. And I think that comes with time in your career and you're less worried about what other people think about you. Early in my lean career, um, I was not a traditional engineer, statistician, math person, but I liked people and they gave me a shot. So as I was going through training and um, certification, I still was kind of myself. I'm, you know, I'm a, could be loud. And I think I was singing at my desk one day and um, one of our leaders, not the two that I talked about that were great, she looked at me and she's like, well, you're just a little too peppy. And I'm like, you know, I melted inside because I thought maybe I am not right for this job and I, this isn't for me. And it sucked. And I, it, it made me dare you horrible. be happy. I can't believe that you Excuse, had I mean, I don't experience well, positive geez, emotions. Gosh. You enjoy being alive. <laughs> like, Stop. So I, uh, God, I got over that eventually. And then I just still, it, it didn't bother me anymore, but I still think about it. Um, and then I was like, you know what? I'm going to name my company after her. <laughs> so that's where pep came from. Cause I'm too peppy. Okay. Next question. But in my, just my own kind of research and farting around on the internet with how people are motivated, what makes them feel good. Um, it's that positive reinforcement and recognition for ourselves and others. And so we have tools online. LinkedIn has it. You can send somebody a kudos and that's great, but there's some deeper connection when you're handwriting it. So the two components of PEP are, you know, you have a lot of intention. Man, I really want to tell somebody I appreciate them. Or I loved when somebody said this and it made me feel so good. Um, The first component is for yourself. And it's just write one thing a day that you're grateful for. That gets you in a better positive mindset, whether it's in the beginning of the day or at the end of the day to just say, okay, sometimes days are hard and life is hard. Past year and a half has been kind of a shit show, but there's got to be something that we appreciate in our everyday lives. And that just gets us into a better mental state. LeBron James talks about it in some of his master class on the call map. Um, and then 
in addition to that, the partnership there is, okay, so you wrote down somebody made a positive impact on your life. And I remember one of my first ones was a leader, his name's Carl Long. And he one time told me, you have the courage to be yourself. And I wrote it down and, I, and this was years ago and I never forgot about it, but I never told him how it made me feel. And so one of my very first pep cards, which is that second component is tell somebody you appreciate them or you're grateful for them or they made you feel good. And I told him, hey, Carl, you said this a long time ago and I don't know if you remember, but that I still think about that. So now I'm telling somebody else in a handwritten form, I spent five minutes and I sent it to him and he texted me and he just, it just made him feel really good that he had an impact on somebody else. So not only am I building that in, in my own self, but I'm sharing it with other people on how they made me feel. And I think too many times we wait for bad stuff to happen, tragedies before we say, oh my gosh, you know, people's funerals. We say all these nice things and you think, did you ever tell them that when they were alive? And maybe not. And that sucks. So I think that um, being able to do that regularly, just pushing a different mindset about appreciating what we have um, and not what we don't. Well, thank you so much for sharing. Oh, you yeah. know, I love it. When I researched PEP, I thought this is awesome. It's right up my alley thank because you. it combines two things that I love, right? One is being intentional about mm -hmm. fostering relationality with people. And yeah. even the, the gratitude yeah. journal idea, like I do that. I have a pretty strict meditation practice to keep my mind in the right That's spot. That's great, right? yeah. And then the other part is automation, right? <laughs> like I'm doing enough stuff already. This is like an out of the box solution that empowers me to take action, physical action of what I wanna do. But yeah. if I have to start from, uh, where's the, I think I have some old Christmas cards I can convert. Yeah, you know, right. Maybe, yeah. I mean, it cut, shows up and you have the tools. And what I heard, one of the, one of the problem, I mean, a lot of people have good intentions of being grateful and they share things on Instagram. And, but I think the problem that I was looking to solve is how do I take intent to action? And there's gratitude journals at Target. I encourage you to buy them. They're very cute, but sometimes a notebook goes in a drawer and we might forget about it. And so one of the benefits that I found from people's feedback is that the page, the, that month's pages show up every month. So you're monthly reminded, hey, and if you forgot a couple days, that's okay. Start again. We're starting another month. Stick it in your note. It kind of gives you something physical. It reminds you to get back into it rather than a notebook that you might lose or, um, you know, put in a drawer and you kind of forget about. So I hope that's yeah. helping. You know, we have we have a good membership base, so I think that's great. I know we've got some other ideas that we want to take it to another level, but just and the and I I said in the beginning, if nobody signs up for this, I wanted to do it for myself. So honestly, I already feel successful with it. If I'm that is that's a, what, something uh, I wanted. That is a hundred percent what we did with this podcast. We're like yeah, nobody's going to listen to us talk. Love you guys so much is because you don't care if people want to watch or not. You're doing it because you're having fun. Yeah. Well, I have boxes of notebooks. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. For my career, and guess what? Not a single one of them is full. You know why? Because at some point it ended up in my drawer, and I couldn't yeah. find it for nine months. You know? Yeah. I'm gonna pull it out, and I'm like, wow, I haven't even worked at that company for two years. You know, oh, this goes yeah. in the box. You know? Um, so yeah, so I really love PEP. Encourage everybody Thank to check you. it out. We'll put the link in the uh, notes down below on the okay. video. I appreciate that. That is 
about a wrap for today. Tina, fantastic having you as a guest. Really appreciate it. How can folks get in touch with you? Um, they can connect with me on LinkedIn. That's the only social media I have. Or you can send me an email too. Um, it's christina.provost at covetris.com. All right. Well, we will put those links on the screen or down below or whatever. Okay. Encourage folks to uh, network with you. Thanks so much for coming on the show. To everybody out there in YouTube land, goodbye. Hey, I'm a husband. Thanks for me. It's fun to talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> Have a great weekend.